passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And we are live. From the post office, it's John Pollock and Wei Ting, and welcome to the Cafe Hangout, our weekly live video show call-in show this is an audio show this is a a, um telepathic show multi-purpose yep it is the quantum realm the quantum realm yes a podcast once you come you'll never want to leave wow nor will we allow you to leave um well thank you great intro Uh, among our you're stuck (laughs) among our better intros i had nowhere else to take it i'm sorry well welcome everybody to the show it's going to be a fun one as usual we're going to be joined in a little later by Damian Abraham, host of The Wrestlers, to chat about last night's doubleheader of shows. Do you think he's sick of us yet? After talking to us for, what, like five weeks straight? Uh, he, he hasn't shown me any uh, hesitancy to continue coming on, uh, but we've got two more after this. So we'll, yes. we'll see if by the end of it he says, you know, guys, I, I really appreciate it and all, but never again. Season two, um, uh, <laughs> we'll do it one. He's going to, to, to uh, Wrestling Observer. He's going to arrival. He's going to move. Us. He's going to move. But uh, no, we, we claim uh, we, He's have, we, we, have, we have the rights to Damian Abraham. We'll lend, we're lending him to Vice. Yeah. But he belongs to us. Yes. yes. So looking forward to chatting with Damian too. Very, very different, but very intriguing episodes of The Wrestlers from Wednesday night. We'll also do a quick Stomping Grounds preview. And you are welcome to call in to share your thoughts on Stomping Grounds or the laundry list of news items that I'm going to go through in a couple of minutes. But... The number to call, as always, 732-800-4423. And if you're on Skype, just call in. Search for Post Wrestling. We're there. You can call in. We'll be taking your calls if we get them. For video viewers, I'd like to direct everybody's attention not only to my Up Next shirt, which you can get at prowrestlingtees.com slash Up Next, but to John Pollock's Post Wrestling sweater that is one of a kind that his wife gave You can't gave get this anywhere. That your your wife and your child gave you. I don't know how Max managed to find the funds to afford a sweatshirt at a year old, but... He's very smart. Uh, This is my Father's Day gift. It was a a post-wrestling custom sweatshirt that I understand uh, you assisted 
in getting the the logo. I sent her the logo. That was it. Wait, take some more credit. Oh, you need yeah. more of an ego. That okay. needs to be your uh, your resolution. For I the hand stitched 2019. It. I did everything. Every thread in that shirt is from me. <laughs> well, uh, I love this sweatshirt. I've worn it like three times. I'm jealous Sunday. now. I wish I had one. It's a very nice one. One of a kind. Uh, so let's dive into some news because there's quite a bit of it uh, going on. First of all, uh, I want to start with this one. It's, it's a very sad story involving the passing of uh, Adrian McCallum, who people knew better as Lionheart, uh, a huge uh, mainstay uh, on the Scottish and British wrestling scenes and somebody that uh, died earlier this week. The news was made on Wednesday. Uh, the ICW promotion out of Scotland announced that he had passed only 36 years of age. He had been wrestling since 2002. He was the ICW heavyweight champion uh, at the time of his passing. He had just won it uh, back in December. Uh, so it, it's just a very, very sad story. I know that the uh, the British Wrestling Experience crew, I'm sure they'll be dedicating some time to talk about uh, what he meant on the scene for the last 17 years. And uh, we should have... Um, uh, a piece up in the next day or two uh, with Benno talking about a number of subjects going on uh, in the UK, including uh, the passing of Lionheart. But he, a lot of people might be familiar with his name from back in 2014 when he wrestled a match with AJ Styles and took the Styles Clash incorrectly and ended up breaking his neck and amazingly not only recovered from it, but came back to wrestling, did a, a rematch with AJ Styles the following year. And I mean, that in and of itself was a miracle that he came back from that because he broke his neck in two places. And that was where I would say people outside of the UK uh, would have heard his name prominently a couple of years back. But mm -hmm. uh, a very unfortunate news story to start off with, a uh, very young and uh, tragic other news items, we have uh, the WWE and BT Sport have announced what was reported last month by The Telegraph that they have entered a multi-year agreement where the WWE is leaving Sky Sports. They had had a relationship dating back to 1989 as they go to BT Sport, which is a subscription-based service. It's where the UFC is housed as well. So it's going to be in many fewer homes, but it's kind of hard to assess the value of this deal because we don't know what the value of this deal is. No financials were disclosed, just a multi-year deal. So on the surface, this is less eyeballs. The question is, was there any kind of a bidding war here or was Sky kind of ridding themselves of WWE? And this was a case, much like when Spike was done with WWE, the WWE just got the best deal they could going back to USA and had to give up a lot. That is just pure speculation. But it seems that if, in fact, this AEW deal goes through with ITV, clearly there is a relationship there. Like, AEW has, you know, ITV4 is available to a lot more people than BT Sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it it makes sense why, you know, at least uh, seeing Double or Nothing that they, it feels like they, they are treating the UK as a priority in their production. Um, and I'm very curious to see maybe if the pendulum will swing in terms of popularity in the years ahead. It's going to be something very interesting. Um, as well, Sky Sports, are they out of the wrestling business now? Mm -hmm. You know, for the first time in 30 years, like there's that that thought process. The same with, with Spike TV, I go back to in 2005 when they, they did not renew with WWE. And the idea was, well, if you're not going to be with the premier brand, are you going to want to be in wrestling? And before the end of the year, they they picked up Impact Wrestling. So it's... I don't know who that necessarily would be with AEW already um, in a deal. If yeah. if Sky would even like, what would the wrestling product even be? It's not as though there is um, 
a comparable that you would expect. I mean, it would be, be it would be AEW, which they obviously can't. Well, get. that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think they're on they're on the table. Yeah. Um, to be to be available. Do you think this changes things with the UFC and BT Sport? Um, yeah, because the UFC is on BT Sport and they almost left BT Sport and it was going to be uh, on, on a streaming platform, which just ended up that deal just kind of went up in smoke and they ended up back with BT Sport. I'm curious how there's if there is any kind of cross promotion, because you would think that you are uh, you are delivering to some crossover audience, maybe mm -hmm. not as much as in years past, but there has to be some that you would think that you would want to be able to uh be able to market to the same audience and cross promote. Certainly. Yeah. Um, do, do we know anything? Like, do we know what the terms, like how long the, the only the multi-year that's, that's all huh. I, I'm sure like specifics will, will come out in time, but it's, it was a very vague release today, just that this okay. will go into effect at the start of 2020. And now that like, this had been the television deal that investors had been asking a lot about, like there was these, they were supposed to have a deal a long time before this that they had kind of given as their their window to announce a new deal that came and went. So now the outstanding deal is the rights deal in India and whether they can get an increase on their rights fees over there, because that was a lot as well about the stock going up was the optimism that if we're seeing this amount of increase domestically, hopefully that's going to mirror itself in the UK and Ireland and India. So people are going to be very um, curious about the financials of this deal. Other news to go through. Um, Kenta did this very interesting interview for uh, Weekly Pro Wrestling in Japan, and we had it uh, translated. And some of the answers are uh, pretty revealing about his time at WWE and specific to 205 Live. He stated that he was he was very excited when he finally got the call up to 205 Live. This would have been in the end of 2017, but said you know, he used the term that he felt that he was defanged while he was there. I mean, that that's a hell of a descriptor. I think neutered might also be uh, apply, but uh, that we, could work too. But I, I do like defanged. It almost sounds like he's good. planting the seeds for a, a new finisher. The fangs. The fang, okay. Or the um, whole bite. But he said that, you know, while he was on 205 Live, he kind of lamented like his role, citing the tournament that they did last year going into wrestlemania he lost in the first round to roderick strong he was obviously not a priority he was frustrated at times that he was told what to do what not to do and he kind of just gave up it seems like it really kind of just beat him down and he just went with the flow and became a bit of a accepting of his role so much of this i think will will really kind of be answered when we start to see him actually wrestle in that first match uh come the the g1 um and mentioning his style, he feels is going to be different than what you're typically used to. Thing is, though, John, like guys in NXT, guys on 205 Live are able to wrestle a, a version of their style that seems very different from what appears to be on the main roster. If it was uh, Hideo Tommy on the main roster having to wrestle two three-minute matches, I would definitely kind of give a lot more validity to his comments. But guys in NXT, guys in 205 Live are able to have like bangers they're able to have excellent matches doing the styles that in the confines that they're able to so how much of this is hideo tommy kenta kind of just making an excuse for maybe lackluster performance well and when he said the the line about you know no good memories come to mind like again this is being translated but it sounded like he's describing his 205 live tenure like it didn't seem he was as negative on the nxt time which was you know really hampered by his injuries mm -hmm. that he had down there um but it seems that 
you know, 205 Live, remember there was the, the GTS to Brian Kendrick mm-hmm. that ended up injuring Kendrick and the GTS right. got taken away from him. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure the guy was very, um, very aware of the fact of, of his style and trying to tone it down and also uh, and also switch to a more palatable style in WWE, which sure. you're right. Like there's going to be a big spotlight on him to see uh, here's a 38 year old. He's uh, gone through several, several big injuries over mm-hmm. the last few years. Those are going to be natural questions. Uh, he seems to be shooting an angle to try and do something with Tetsuya Naito. Uh, they had a tag match in Noah back in 2014. So he brought him up in this interview and uh, just also describing his debut, he said he had so many nerves uh, uh, appearing at Dominion. He didn't watch any of the matches prior, and he did watch the remaining matches after that, which were the big three at Dominion. So, I mean, you you sit back and watch those three matches, like you know what the stakes are. Oh um, yeah, you know most of these guys are in the G one with you, and it's going to be um, incredibly physically taxing. Yeah, when you're but- watching your Ospreys and Okadas and. Naito and Ibushi. I have no doubt like he'll want to go out there and like have the most physical matches he's probably had has had in, in years. Um and he's got Kota Ibushi the first night. I know, I know. I, I guess I'm just like my concern is just whether or not his body can keep up with his mind. Because I'm sure he wants to go out there and have like the style of match that he's used to known for having. Very physical, very brutal. Um it's, it's a hold. very daunting position to your first night. You have all this on your shoulders to go out there and really, you know, to, for people that are skeptical, go out there and have that kind of a performance. The The positive is you have an opponent that, man, there's there's not too many guys you could have a better match with. Mm-hmm. That said, um, do you want to go out there and risk injury when on the first night of a six week tournament that you know preservation is a big part of this g1 and he's coming into this um not being on this kind of level to have to perform this many big matches in such a short period of time yeah it's sort of a tricky one because i would say this is probably the most important match of of his career uh at least in the so no pressure compared what you're saying i'm saying compared to anything like we've seen in 205 live i would even say compared to maybe anything in nxt like i don't know if there's anything that i think is as important as maybe this performance for the rebranding of kenta as as somebody outside of the wwe system um do you read this interview and like do you have any like the natural corollary to me is shinsuke nakamura mm -hmm. and what what he is going through right now. And let, let me be clear. Like I, I don't look at this and say like, this is all on the company. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, you know, the performer as well. Like you are entering this system that I think enough guys have to understand what the compromises are of working within this system. Yeah. And those that are truly great are going to find a way to get over and work within the confines of this system. Yeah, uh, you know, I think Nakamura maybe is a different case because I think Nakamura is on the main roster. He seems... Has he been defanged? <laughs> has he been defanged or has he defanged himself? You it's, know? it's He's, for, Forget the comparison to New Japan Nakamura. It's a difference of NXT Nakamura as yeah. well. But, I mean, how do we know that Nakamura isn't happy playing the role that he's playing? Uh, I'm sure he'd like to perhaps appear on TV, but I think he's happy being a part of a WWE system, probably not taxing his body as much as he was in Japan. I'm sure he loves surfing, maybe, you know, better waves on this side of the world. I guarantee he's going to be a lot happier next week when he walks out at Sumo Hall and he's treated like a superstar. You mean Hideo Tommy? No, I'm talking about Nakamura. They're they're at Sumo Hall next week for two shows. 
Yeah, but we all, we also don't know what he values in life at this point. He's had those experiences with New Japan. He's been a star over there. Maybe now he just wants a sort of a quiet life with a job that he just visits every once in a you know a few times a week, collects a paycheck, and then enjoys the rest of his time. For some people, they will. Yeah, you can't generalize everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a hard time imagining you know uprooting yourself to go and challenge yourself at this stage of your career where you are a made person mm-hmm. in New Japan uh, that you're happy being left off this pay-per-view on Sunday and no one batting an eye about it. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. But, you know, I, I will say Itami kind of is a different case. You know, I find it interesting, though, that in this interview, he talks about uh, not uprooting his family back to Japan. That's right. He's going to be staying in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So he'll actually be making the foreigners commute every time he wants to go work for New Japan. I did find that interesting. Yeah. And he also added the fact that he could have been welcomed back to Noah, but instead... You know, he feels that he has to make a real statement on an international stage. Mm-hmm. Noah doesn't have that international well, that's, stage. Exactly. And that's the thing. That's I think that's the primary difference between Nakamura and, and Itami or, or Kenta. It's that Nakamura has has made a name for himself in the in the U.S., in North America, whereas Itami has really yet to do that. And I think ultimately he's still chasing that goal. He still probably wants to make like big dollars that, you know, a, a top name, even somebody on the level of a Nakamura is able to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atami maybe only has so many more like prime, prime earning years left in him. And I think this is the way he looks at to, to maximize those years. Um, it's also, I think, you know, hearing about the families involved is it's a great reminder that, you know, anytime you have talent, foreign talent coming in to work either in a new Japan system or a WWE system. Um, they're not just moving there themselves. It's, it's a whole family. It's a whole process of learning a new language. Kushida this, this week, like tweeted out some stuff about like trying to get a car for the first time and how difficult that something like that is, you know? So these guys aren't just learning to wrestle a new style in front of a new audience. They're learning basics, like how to go grocery shopping in a different place. Like imagine going to Japan and, Having to do Dude, that I, I spent three weeks in Russia, and I'll tell you, it was really humbling to go to a McDonald's, and I had to leave. Like I just, it was, <laughs> just, it was like so daunting to me. It's like I, I can't even order food here, and you like you just feel so out of place. Like mm-hmm. you're just, you're like you just feel like a fool. It's, yeah. it's very difficult, and that, and that was, you know, that was just a quick little trip. On top of like having to learn how to cut promos in like a different language. It's, sure. So anyway, very. Very fascinating interview, I think, I think with Kenta. Um, the ESPY Awards, uh, they have announced their nominations this year, and we're not going to go through all the categories except for two. Uh, they used to have one category that encompassed combat sports, and that was best fighter. Mm-hmm. They now have best boxer and best MMA fighter. And uh, this year, the nominees are Daniel Cormier, Henry Cejudo, Israel Adesanya, and the fourth one is, I think I have it here, Amanda Nunez. So those are the four there. And then we have a new category way, best WWE moment. Oh, my God. Wow. Just WWE, though. Just WWE. Unlike uh, not best wrestling moment, not best sports entertainment moment. Tells you all you need to know about these awards. So the nominees for this, which, man, WWE is going to be just wallpapering their programming leading into the ESPYs uh, with this, which uh, take place July 10th. Uh, so best WWE moment, the nominees are uh, Roman Reigns announcing that his leukemia is in remission, Becky Lynch winning the two women's tag titles in the main event of WrestleMania, Kofi Kingston winning the title from Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, and Ronda Rousey winning the Raw women's title from Alexa Bliss at last year's SummerSlam. Right. I think this is a major coup that WWE was able to infiltrate the ESPYs and get their own award. 
Yeah. Um, like this is great. It's, it's a major like, coup. Visibility for them. I mean, I don't, I, I don't really pay attention to the ESP, so I can't really say how much credibility I would have given him, given it, given to them anyway, as a sports fan or a sports journalist. They're a pretty um, big deal. Um, you know, for sports fans, something like this though, like crafting a, a an award specifically for one company and completely ignoring everything else in 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 this sport yeah, tells the, me that this is more of a business decision yes. a, a, a corporate you know patting patting on each other's backs uh for a, a financial term that might be undisclosed versus any type of journalistic endeavor yeah it's it's kind of interesting the fact that it's it would almost be more understandable if wwe had a business deal with espn i mean they are in bed as deep as you can with fox mm-hmm. and not espn like ufc you get the connection i mean they're they're you know uh, hand in glove. Yeah, why don't they have a UFC best UFC fighter award? No, it is best MMA fighter specifically. So uh, someone from KSW. But all the, nomi- could all the nominees are, are UFC. Well, fighters. there you go. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I just found it interesting because that was uh, something I, I was really surprised at. So the award ceremony is July 10th in LA, hosted by Tracy Morgan. All right. Um, double shot material, probably not. I sure if there's curiosity, I just I don't know with how much even among our circles there will be any. There was an interview on on Jimmy Fallon on Wednesday night where the Bella Twins were there uh, promoting several different um, endeavors that they are involved with. I hopefully one of those being the Bella podcast. They did plug the podcast. They did. Of which Henry Cejudo was a guest this week. Was he on? I don't know if you knew that. And it was like crazy flirtatious. It was. Did he talk about his shoulder? Uh, this is the stuff so. I care about. No, I don't. I don't. Believe, he had shoulder surgery this week. I don't believe he talked about his shoulder. I'm not exactly. You know sure. what? It was probably done last week because they yeah. put the photo up with him. Yes. So yes. it must have been done. So, but it was crazy, incredibly uh, cringy, a little bit cringy, and very flirtatious. Was Brian on with him? Uh, no, but they did talk about how Brian is a huge fan of his and would love to uh, grapple with him at some point. Okay. Well, he's pretty hurt right now. Um, anyway, they. Well, the more lighthearted part about this is that they had a big discussion on spoiler culture. Okay. And let's just say you are Brie and I am the Nikki. Oh, wow. Of, of I don't group. know if that's a compliment or not, yes. but okay. Oh, Nikki like used my arguments that I've brought up. She was defending spoiling the finale of Game of Thrones. And if you are a fan of Game of Thrones and forever, for whatever reason have not watched the series finale, don't watch this interview. Uh, but she, it gets very serious at one point and it... It was very awkwardly handled by Jimmy Fallon, who just moved on to like the next kind of lighthearted topic. But uh, Jimmy asks about their announcement of their retirement. And Nikki explained that she has herniated another disc in her neck and that there's been inflammation around the metal that's in her neck from oh, her previous surgery. Man. And then just mentions that they have found a cyst on her brain and... WWE has told her, like, you're done. There's no more, like, they're not going to clear her to compete again. So she said, I didn't have a choice in the matter. So, Hmm. uh, I mean, that, like, up until now, I had believed that, you know, we'll probably get a Bella's return at some point when it's convenient. This seemed to shut the door on Nikki Bella ever wrestling again. Well, if you watched last season when she did make her announcement of her retirement on, on, like, the season finale, it kind of came rather abruptly. Whereas, like, Bree's announcement kind of came, you know, off the heels of, like... Uh, you know, some some poor wrestling matches. Nikki's was just kind of like, oh, I'm retiring too, I guess. Um, so I wonder when maybe well on the was known. Speaking of the Bella's podcast, like I did listen to the first one, and Nikki is much more um 
open about the retirement and stating that they really didn't want to focus too much on her neck problems on the reality show. But uh. she goes into it in the podcast where it seems like the neck was a real big issue and they wanted to kind of give you a more sanitized um, story on on Total Bellas. Mm. But I just it was very awkward. I like I don't get the sense that Nikki like it is anything like it sounds pretty horrific. A cyst on the brain, of mm-hmm. course. But it's like a setup where Nikki gets to say like her line is so I didn't get a choice indicating like Brie uh, chose to walk away. So Brie's comeback is, yeah, well, I gave birth and it's like a laugh line. I was like, this is not funny. It's like it was a really serious uh, description. Um, So, I mean, I hope she's as healthy as possible, but clearly the neck is a mess. And yeah, mentioning this this issue with like assist that. I, I mean, WWE just seems to be pretty adamant, and I, I don't blame them. Like, once you're talking about the neck and the head, that's territory I don't think they're going to be negotiable on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, whatever she's comfortable, I hope to hear some updates about it, in, 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 in particular, uh, you know, about the cyst on the brain, which sounds kind of concerning. I hope she adds more context to it, because yeah. this this was not really the platform to for it. It just seemed like they were out there plugging stuff, doing a typical lighthearted Jimmy Fallon interview, and I don't think he knew how to handle um, this real significant news that she was providing yeah uh what else do we have here triple a has announced that they are in addition to the madison square garden show in september they're going to be running the forum in la on october the 13th which is entitled invading la so they're making uh, their big footprint in the united states this year and uh two other notes zach saber jr and yoshihashi they're having their match in sendai next tuesday for the british heavyweight title with the added stipulation that if yoshihashi wins he will get Zack Sabre Jr.'s spot in the G1, ensuring that nobody will be rallying behind Yoshihashi in this match. I mean, what I tra- don't know if that's. Oh, true. could you imagine Yoshihashi in the A block? Listen, I I don't know if they would just put the stipulation up there for no reason. So I mean, I I, I on this side of the, of of maybe kind of the argument, I don't know how many people would rather see Yoshihashi than Zack Sabre Jr. Everyone. I don't know about that. Uh, if they replaced Zack Sabre Jr. with Yoshihashi, I think that would, I, I mean, People that would be revolt. a big downgrade. Oh, my God. But Yoshihashi has his fans, you know? Like, uh, he plays just, uh, he is the quintessential underdog that I think a lot of people dismiss. And if he can beat Zack Sabre Jr., it would be a huge push for him and a great deal of momentum heading into this G1. I don't think there's going to be any any switch to this. If anything, the the sympathetic figure to put in a role like this would be Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I but he's I, someone people actually want to see in the G1. I will say it, it, it's a stipulation that adds a bit of relevance to this uh, match beyond that, totally. that belt and, yeah. and actually has my interest now. And this is a New Japan World show, so this one will be able to watch. And the final item, SmackDown Tuesday night, 1,859,000 viewers down just under 4% from last week, down 16.6% from last year, you know. Numbers are not are nothing to really rally around uh, this week in kind WWE, of. and it's like you you don't have the the built in excuse of the NHL or NBA playoffs. So mm-hmm. this is wasn't a good bounce back week for the company. Yeah, it's just kind of the way things are right now. All right, uh, so those are all the news items. Of course, you can get caught up to date at postwrestling.com, and we will be connecting with Damian Abraham in the. Uh, next couple of minutes you want to do that or, or do you want to do stomping grounds first what, what do you Let, let's get damien on okay we'll, we'll do stomping grounds towards sure. the end along with uh phone calls uh so damien will be joining us on wednesday night it was two new episodes of the wrestlers we had 
The first, looking at the fighting Cholitas out of Bolivia, as well as a feature on uh, various female standouts in the U.S., and really looking at the the impact of domestic violence, of where these women have found an outlet through professional wrestling uh, to get through a lot of these issues. I found it to be a really profound episode. And then the second one was looking at the world of Lucha Libre. And here are a number of performers that have been able to have better lives because of Lucha Libre and having the ultimate dream of making it in the United States and succeeding in this political climate where it's become more difficult to be uh, an immigrant from Mexico or so, not succeeding or not succeeding. Yeah. yeah. So uh, two very different episodes, but um, I thought these two back to back, like they really kind of captured the essence of what this series is of looking at pro wrestling as a tool within the greater culture of these respective areas of the world. Sounds like we, we might've just had Damien's voicemail. So uh, I will try to continue to, Reach the man. Well, we're gonna have to uh, to bother him. Then. Is Maybe, he there? I'm right here. I'm right here. There he is. I'm right here. There he is. I, I almost thought like the guy big timed us. No, no, I would never big time my friends, my my team, my like. We're like the we're like the free birds, guys. Well, who, without the sketchy Confederate flag face paint. Yeah, I, I don't know if, <laughs> if the three of us would ever be compared to to the free birds, but uh, I get the analogy nonetheless. Uh, you know, Way was saying at the beginning, he's he's surprised. He's like, "Man, Damien isn't sick of us yet. We're we're all we're down here to the home stretch, and you've joined us John, every week." This is the only way that you'll talk to me is when we oh, do this. Oh, please! <laughs> <laughs> Way will pick up my phone calls occasionally, but with John, if I if I try and call him instead of texting, is that true, is, John? Hey, hey, send him straight to voicemail. Not true at all. In fact, after the first episode that aired, I called Damien just to congratulate him. And I got his voicemail. And it, correct me if I'm lying, Damien. I think I left a very nice message, and I don't believe I got a call back. Ooh. Well, I, I, oh. Well, I apologize wow. for not calling you back then. But I did. But John, I, I called you, Damien. I did not text you. Do you know? Do you know the value you have in my life that I I literally picked up my phone to call you, never as opposed calls. to just texting you? Well, it's been you're in rarefied air as my gimmick. This is my gimmick on the show is that I'm the guy who phones people. You guys are like, and then you're like, imagine someone that still phones someone. You're like, oh, yeah, crazy old Damien still calls people. I'm trying to do it more and more now. I feel bad yeah, now exactly. because when I, when I get a call from an unknown number, not a chance I'm picking that up. No, no. It's no, just well, that's, what I, that's, that's why I was hesitant to pick up this call. I was like, oh, man, who's calling me from New Jersey? Who, who's <laughs> pissed off about the deathmatch episode from New Jersey that wants to talk to me? Listen, when you're when you're getting a Skype number, they'll 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 reroute you to wherever. We had, we had to find uh the, the whole tracking a phone number system. It's it's very complicated. So it's very complicated. I yes, yes, thank you. Uh, I'm trying to move this show keep, along. Keep, everybody. keep us moving. Me and Damien will just keep talking about nonsense. <laughs> we are here to talk about two episodes of the wrestlers. You're kind of transitioning to more of a double header uh, uh, schedule right now, right, Damien? Yeah, it was totally my decision to do it this way. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Um, two hours is good. Yeah, no, two hours is good. Actually, I had a lot of fun with them both airing last night. I just feel like it's fun. Well, actually, both of them last night, you know, it's it's I, we didn't have any say in how they were scheduled. And I think the track listing that they came up as far as which episodes were aired when has been awesome. And those two episodes, I think, fit strangely really well together because they're both two of the more emotional episodes in the series for different very different reasons but both incredibly emotional episodes yeah i know when we've talked with you damien a lot like you 
clearly like um, the fighting Cholitas in Bolivia, like it comes through in the episode and in speaking with you. Yeah. Just the level of impact that I, I think that this was an eye opener. Before to we you. continue, I, I want to explain to people who maybe haven't watched the episode yet what the fighting Cholitas are. And please correct me if I'm wrong, Damien, but they appear to be an indigenous group out of Bolivia. Uh, in particular, this episode focuses on the women uh, that, that are uh, a part of this demographic who uh, many of them have suffered instances of domestic abuse. And somehow it is through the art form of professional wrestling that they have found a way to empower themselves and to empower their, their, uh, their underrepresented group by having intergender matches with men where they defeat the men and the audience cheers and it, it's kind of become its own attraction. Yeah, like I think the, the thing about the, so the face of the Flame is just like some promoter who was just looking for any gimmick about 10 years ago. He was just looking for, to get people in the seats, right? So he's, he had tried like, you know, uh, little people or I guess they even call it minis in, in Bolivia. They tried tag teams. He had tried women wrestlers. And so he was just like, I'm going to take women wrestlers and i'm going to put them in indigenous clothing which is these you know beautiful very huge uh, elaborate cholita dresses which were originally opposed imposed upon women by the spanish colonial government that invaded bolivia or the country that became known as bolivia and uh, eventually it became adopted and internalized by indigenous groups or various indigenous groups within bolivia and became you know, just the indigenous form of dress, these Cholita dresses. But you were really looked down upon for wearing Cholita dresses. Like you weren't allowed to fly in a plane if you were wearing a Cholita dress, as one of the uh, people in the episode says, you know. And it's really through this act of just a promoter looking to fill, you know, put butts in the seats that started this huge cultural re revolution in the country. And that was, you know, these through these this act of seeing these Cholita women wrestle in the ring and particularly beating the men. That's when the crowd really gets into it. It caused a complete reassessment of Cholita women, and it kind of perfectly dovetailed with the election of Abel Morales, who was the first uh, uh, president of indigenous descent that was ever elected in Bolivia. And even though the population of Bolivia is 70 percent of indigenous percent of descent, sorry, it's still like incredibly racist how these people were treated. And now, you know, once through the election of Abel Morales, through, you know, things like Cholita wrestling, it's really caused a, a cultural revolution in the country. It's incredible to me to know that wrestling could have that type of impact anywhere in the world. Certainly, like, I think you can't really point to anywhere else in the world where it seems to have that that type of impact politically. I would say America is the only place that I would, you know, and I, and I really think that, you know, look at Donald Trump. You know, he's in the WWE's Hall of Fame. We all have mutual friends that we've talked to that worked with him as a writer when he was on his WrestleMania run. And they talk about how much he took in during that time period and how, you know, much of the Donald Trump that you see on TV is sort of this weird, terrifying adoption of a wrestling persona. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, it, it certainly you know, not necessarily in the same positive way that it has in Bolivia affected politics. But yeah, Bolivia, it's it's huge. It's massive, that would be impact that it's had. And the way the women are looked at, you know, but, but also, like, you know, it's still wrestling. And that show was one of the most emotional wrestling shows I've, I've had the chance to attend. Certainly, you know, um, it, as far as just like a cathartic experience for the crowd. Like, there were women in the crowd, Cholita women in the crowd, just crying, like screaming at these heels. And there's this one heel, the guy who actually moons the crowd and uh, throws a chair at one of these women. Like he actually picks up one yeah. of these chairs and hurls it at her. And that, 
that dude at one point came over and spin kicked the seat my translator was in and shattered the back of the chair. And luckily she had her mic pack there. And so it didn't actually hit her in the back, but he was, he was trying to hurt her, you know? And then when they're wrestling in the ring, like forget strong style, like this is, this was brutal wrestling. Like these guys were drunk in some cases, some of these men wrestlers, because it was a holiday and it was, it did not look, um, it did not look like intergender wrestling that I had seen in other places in the world. That's for sure. You know, you mentioned in one of the statistics about 53% of women in Bolivia have experienced physical or sexual violence and it being like one of the highest rates in the world. And, um, you know, it's it's really emphasized when uh, one of the women, Helen, is just describing this horrific story about being beaten while she's pregnant, kicked out of her home, having to purchase back her children. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to know, like, as you're conducting this interview and she's describing this, like, number one, you have the, the language barrier, but as well, um, the fact that um, just that, that level of comfort that she was willing to be speaking about such a thing on camera. I mean, is there almost a, a stigma not to talk about this from the, from just the the vibe you got of, of being there? Like, this is something that you don't speak about. Um, I definitely think in, in certain situations, you know, people would probably not feel safe to talk about this stuff. But I think in the situations we were, like the center we were conducting that interview in particular, it was that whole that whole conversation. Like I can remember being in that room and just how hot it was and just just just, you know, trying to hold back these tears because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm listening to someone tell their story and I want to retain composure. But at the same time, you know, I'm hearing this translation from. Valiera, who are our, our translator, and she's like telling me like what's going on. And it's, it, as a parent, how can you not like just die inside hearing the story about this, what this woman's been through? You know, it just was, yeah, it was a really, uh, this whole episode, like every conversation I had with someone like Suplemente Maria, like talking to her, like every woman I talked to and just the, the stories they had of, of just, you know, what has fueled their wrestling in a lot of cases, you know, like there's just how much of this abuse and, and violence they've had to suffer and how they've taken that and used it to, to influence what they're now doing to perform for people to, to perform a cathartic experience for the people watching the wrestling. Like it was really, yeah, I don't know. The, the emotional experience of that show was unlike anything I'd ever experienced at a, a wrestling show. Like just the, the level of, of just pain that was kind of being uh, let out in that room. And there's a lot of tourists. The tour craziest thing is a bunch of tourists. Like we, we could have made a whole episode. We actually talked about this a lot while we were filming it, because by this point we already knew that they were going to be together, these two stories. Um, but we were like, we could make a whole episode just about Bolivia and it would be fascinating because there's tourists that come to these, to see these fighting Cholita matches because it's become a big tourist destination. But it was the tourists ran out screaming like a group of the tourists just like could not believe like the the heels are being super aggressive to the the crowd, as you can see. And they were just not, you know, they were just not up for this at all. They were just, no, we're not here for this. It's a very amazing thing to experience live. It sounds so incredibly different from how I think, you know, maybe North American audiences might perceive intergender wrestling, where I would say like a great deal of maybe, you know, this dem- uh, this audience almost gets a little, does get, get very squeamish at the thought of, you know, uh, a man and a woman having a, a, even a professional wrestling match. Yet in, in Bolivia, it seems like it's, 
at least in this context, used as a way to empower women rather than to encourage, I would say, male on female violence, which I think might be some of the fear of North American audiences when it comes to intergender wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Like it's it's funny to you know we we tried to talk to men from the male wrestlers and they found out we were making a documentary about the fighting Cholitas. None of the men wrestlers would really talk to us for the most part. They're like, no, we don't really want to have any part with it. And there's a real resentment because you can feel it when it, they had like at some point, of course, a mummy come out and wrestle because that's what you have to do at a wrestling show. Um, and so the mummy comes out and the crowd's just sitting on its hands. Like no one cares. This is the main event, right? But anytime there was two men in the ring or more than two men in the ring, whatever, just men in the ring, the audience didn't care. And even when it was women versus women, the audience was into it, but they just didn't. It wasn't until it was that male versus women versus woman dynamic that the crowd just exploded. Did you go and and your crew, Damien, go into this uh, with, with the shooting both in the U.S. and Bolivia of kind of with the idea that here is wrestling in two separate parts of the world, but has this kind of unifying force for these women? Or was this almost plotted out as two separate episodes that just kind of found these similar themes that you see with with, with Mia Yim, with Allison Danger uh, compared with the Cholitas? Yeah, like originally I really wanted to do, you know, Mia Yim is someone that I've been a huge fan of as a wrestler for a long time. But then I heard her on MVP's podcast and she told their story and her work with Put a Nail in It and just sort of her, her just, you know, struggle that she'd been through. And I, I knew that that was a story that I would love to have had the opportunity to help her tell. And so, you know, that was something we were going to do. And then through the course of just researching wrestling, Sarah uh, Wiley, one of our researchers, found all this stuff about the fighting Cholitas, and she's like, I think this is an amazing story. So it was almost like they were being plotted out to be two separate episodes, and then just because of you know, lack of space to put episodes, we're like, well, we could put these together. And so we end up shooting them together, and as soon as we're shooting them together, we're like, my gosh, these should be two, ep- two separate episodes. But by that point, we are already committed to it being one episode. But yeah, no, it, it certainly... Uh, it, it thematically it fits well together, but I really do think they, you know, once again, I think everyone involved in the show feels this way too. Like we could, if we had more time, we could go back and recut them as two separate episodes. No problem. How did you find the difference? Uh, you know, last week you were covering stardom this week, uh, being at, at a shimmer two, event two weeks ago, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, it was stardom. Two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. My time continuum. Yeah. How did you find that they were similar or different as live event experiences? They were really different live event experiences. Like I think the, um, you know, and this is this is a stereotype you hear about wrestling fans in Japan or wrestling crowds, I should say, in Japan is that it was it's very quiet at a shimmer show. That's not to say that's not like they're into it. You know, they're definitely engaged by it, but it's just the reaction is very different at at shimmer. The crowd's very respectful. You know, the only it's funny because uh, the the only uh, people that ever got reprimanded for you know, and actually told that they might have to leave was a group of maybe five or maybe even less or three sort of uh, nine-year-old and 10-year-old girls that kept reaching over and trying to hit the heels in the match. And uh, they were told by a police officer that if they didn't stop touching the wrestler, they were going to ask them to leave. I thought thought the police officer coming over was a little heavy-handed. I thought you could be handled with someone else, but that wasn't Shimmer's call. That was the venue's call. I thought the episode was really successful in in, in explaining perhaps the, the struggle somebody like Mia Yim went through in even bringing up 
the issue of domestic abuse to people around her and, you know, much less being able to get out of that relationship that she was in for a long time. Um, obviously, I think, you know, a lot of people know her story, but it, it was the idea of um, this kind of like internationally recognized symbol of victims of domestic abuse by uh, through painting a, a nail a different color on her hand that ultimately got her noticed and ultimately led her to receive some of that help. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly like which we we had no idea that it was she was still kind of involved in the situation when she first made contact with Brian, and that was just through painting a nail and and him being a wrestling fan reaching out to her through social media saying, "Hey, I saw you paint your nail. Uh, do you want to talk about it at all?" And that was really what led her to start discussing about the situation she was kind of in the process of removing herself from, and, and really kind of, you know, it's 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 amazing how just that, you know, that small act, like, you know, has brought around so much change. And there's even been people that have tweeted at me and tweeted at Mia since the episode aired just last night saying like, you know, not to me, obviously, but to Mia, like, you've inspired me to put a nail in, in my own situation. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's, it's also horrific how common this is, you know, like, and I think Alison Danger speaks to it. And Mia speaks to it too. Like, once you start talking about it in the locker room, how many women, you know, I think that's the other thing we got to recognize, especially as men in society. It's like one in three women will be a victim of a violent sexual assault in their lifetime. Like that's, and it's probably even higher. That's just, you know, based on women that are willing to talk about their stories and able to talk about their stories. And it's, it's like, you know, this, this change has to come from us as men, you know, because that's really the perpetrators of, of this violence. And uh, yeah, like that, that's the thing that was, you know, really put driven home to me making this episode is just how common this is. And even just talking to various women I know in the process of making this episode and them telling their own stories to me. And it's just like, holy God. You do point out like, you know, the lack of education for men being kind of a big cause of it as it relates not just to, you know, uh, North America, but also in Bolivia. Do you think in North America we have enough education for men uh, and for people in general about what's going on? Because, I mean, I wouldn't have really known any, any of this stuff had, had it not for been for people like me coming out and, and sharing their stories. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, like that's the other thing is like in Bolivia, obviously the statistics are, are very jarring, but this stuff happens here, you know, like this isn't just a, you know, like it, 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 it's a very common thing, you know, and that's, I don't think there's enough education here around consent. You know, I, I know there's not because it's still happening. So either we're, there's not enough education or the way we're educating people isn't getting through because it's still happening. The second episode of the night was the next wave of Mexican luchadors. And this was uh, totally different than the last episode, but, you know, diving into kind of the, the political ramifications that the the current U S administration has had on, you know, just something that you, you probably wouldn't draw a straight line from, but to professional wrestlers that make their livelihood, crossing the border on a regular basis, some undocumented and certain few like a Ray Phoenix that was able to get a working visa. Um, I think that people, you can, you can describe this to people, but actually seeing these guys in their day-to-day lives. And uh, this to me was just a really, really fascinating episode to look at and see the struggle of all of these guys that there's, a certain desire for people to make it in professional wrestling. And here, I think you go a lot deeper that for some people like this is their only way 
out of a certain hardship of life that they have been able to find that they're clinging to the hopes of being able someone to to break through and be able to make uh, a living by doing this. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you hear, you know, hear about, you know, sports and music being people's way out of poverty in a lot of places. And Lucha Libre is something else that's added to that as well. Like, you know, it's obviously a sport, but also it's like another way for people to try and get out of poverty. And that's, and it's a struggle. Like you, that was the the thing that I found. Obviously, I knew there was going to be economic disadvantage in Mexico just from past experiences of going there and, and just you know seeing it. But to see how much of it is in lucha libre was was shocking to me. And just the the huge economic difference of being able to cross that border. You know, like if you can go across that border. Sorry, my kids just got home and the dogs barking downstairs. But um, if you can get across that border, you're you're set. You know, like Phoenix and Pentagon are two of the highest paid indie wrestlers in, in the world right now. You know, like these guys are, are very well compensated for the amazing work they do in the ring. But then you look at Ultimo Maldito and Archangel Divino, who are unbelievably talented. Like those guys are ridiculous. The kids that wrestle on the streets mm-hmm. and they legitimately were wrestling in the streets, not because we're like, hey, dude, do you want to go back in the streets and show us what you used to do? That's what they do. They do that all day make money for their family you know and now it's a little bit different a couple years on like they're in mexico city and they're moving up the card a little bit in triple a but they were on tv for the crash at that point they were doing indie shots multiple times a week and they were still having to go out and wrestle every day to to afford basic stuff for their family how did you decide on ray phoenix as as a subject because i thought he was so incredibly like captivating and and immediately likable, especially when you see him with his family and them getting the ultrasound of like their their forthcoming baby. It was one of those things where we just decided like right away we like well that this is the first episode we shot and we just knew right out of the gate that Conan you know like I hit up Conan and I was like hey man like all that thing I've been talking to you about like this wrestling TV show it looks like it's going to actually happen I want to do something with you on this thing. Uh, what do you think about working with Phoenix? And he's like, oh, Phoenix is the guy you want to work with. I, I actually said Penta and Phoenix. He's like, Phoenix is the guy you want to work with. Phoenix is, his English is incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. And he's just like a very, very kind, open person. You know, and I was like, well, how open can he be? And then it was amazing because Conan, you know, leading up to the actual going down to Mexico, got incredibly busy and just disappeared on us. So we actually went down to Tijuana not really knowing if any of these dudes knew we were coming. Like we showed up at Phoenix's house the first night <laughs> and we're like, does he even know who we are and why we're here? And then eventually kind of all the wrestlers opened up to us and they said, yeah, Conan called us a week ago and was like, uh, some, uh, a white dude is going to show up. <laughs> a white boy is going to show up with a film crew, uh, uh, you know, go along with it, do what they say. Cause they're going to do something really cool. Well, and that was, all the explanation that these guys were, you know, and that's all the explanation they were required from Conan. Cause Conan, you know, Conan's role in Lucha is something that's, you know, like these guys worship Conan, like Conan, you know, Ray says it in his house, there's God, there's Jesus and there's Conan. And it's like that for Phoenix too. And it's because Phoenix, you know, was a guy who grew up in, in extreme poverty, you know, with his brother and Conan, Conan says when the first time they came to trial, they didn't even have shoes. And he saw him in the ring and said, these guys have something and then have just kind of shepherded him the whole way through. And everywhere he goes, all these wrestlers go. But yeah, so Phoenix was a, a no brainer for us. And we walked in and we met him and he was just like, within two seconds, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest guy ever. And he just is 
a natural baby face. Like he's someone that you, you could build an entire be. company around this guy. Like oh, as much as people, absolutely. it doesn't even matter that this is one of the most talented wrestlers in the world. And that's not a ridiculous statement to say. And no. that sit down interview that you had with him, my God, like this guy was like, you could, you could, this guy could be a top baby face anywhere. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think, I think that's a, you know, there's, there, I think we live in an era now, we talked about this a lot on the show where reality, you know, era. And like, that's not to say like in the BS reality TV era, but like where we just know who these people are because of social media behind the scenes too. And wrestling companies need to start leaning into this stuff instead of making these guys characters. And so Ray Phoenix, a guy who's come up from nothing to become a wrestling star and who just wants to wrestle for his family and wants to be a decent human being like that, you know, you could be right. That build a whole company around that dude. Like right there. That's, that is, that is the story that I want to see. And no company has tapped into like this with Phoenix to me, like Lucha Underground, AEW, anywhere. Like I, uh, yeah. to just that, that sit down. I mean, I mean, that was, this guy's in tears at the, at the end of this, just describing how grateful he is and the opportunities for him to have a better life through Lucha Libre. I mean, it was an incredibly moving interview that you conducted with him. Well, that was another time where there's like a bunch of times, especially in that episode where, you know, like as much as in Japan, I was just like smiling ear to ear for 99% of the time that I was there, not 99, but like a lot of the time just having a good time. Like this whole episode, like, you know, from seeing him have the ultrasound where he's seeing his kid for the first time and he's crying and his, his, his wife's crying. And like, you know, once again, as a parent, how can you not but help but get emotional for what's going on there? And then sitting backstage after he just wrestled this incredible match with him and he's sweating and you're, you just know, like, wow, this guy's dream is coming true before my eyes right now. Like something that just seemed like, you know, he, he, I don't even think it's made the episode, but he, he tells a story about like being in his bedroom, looking out this window and just dreaming of wrestling, you know, as a kid, just dreaming of being in the ring wrestling. And now it's like, he's doing it at the highest level possible. And it's like, yeah, oh, it was a real emotional thing. Like, I think everyone on the crew was like, had, didn't have dry eyes after that conversation. I'm curious to know, Damien, because, you know, Ray Phoenix is one of the lucky ones who who does have a working visa to, to go to the U.S. Uh, what exactly is 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 involved in, in, in acquiring something like that? Um, obviously, it's probably through his connection through Lucha Underground that yeah. afforded him this opportunity. Yeah. How many companies in the U.S. right now are even capable of granting such visas? Well, I think right now it's interesting because I think it's getting a lot harder than it was even a year ago. Like, I think the, the it's amazing because we shot this thing a couple years ago now, but all the things that we were kind of hypothesizing about at the time, like even like we talked to the journalist at one point, and she's like, yeah, like these realities aren't really going to affect entertainers. But we're seeing it now with some of these companies unable to bring some of the talent they want to bring up, up anymore. Like it just seems like less of these visas are being handed out. You need a lot of money to do it as an independent wrestler. You would need an an ungodly amount of money to put up to get a work visa. And otherwise you need an American company that's in good standing and that has, you know, the immigration lawyers and, and has all the, you know, knows all the right people to be on your side. And even they have to be able to put up a, a you know, a bit of money to say that, you know, you're good. Mm. Can you there's, just, there's other thing, sorry, one other thing I found interesting, there's also a card you can have in Tijuana that allows you to go within a certain distance from the border. And there's a bunch of wrestlers that were talking about how they could wrestle um, ECW 
if it was a little further south. But because it's a little too far north, it's past where they're allowed to go with the special visa that you get as a resident from Tijuana. Wow. That'd be something really hard to track, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, they're, but there are border if checks all up that. Oh, I'm, that's terrible. Yeah. It's yeah, it's an unbelievable like fear that the like I've you know I've spoken to guys like on the Canadian side like that we just routinely go over the border and it's like man like that's a you get caught like that's a major Ooh. setback to your career. Well, I I have a P I'm oh, sorry I have an O2 visa right which means I'm I'm considered like a, a part of the American economy like I've been an American taxpayer for X number of years now like ten years or something right um, just because of the band that I'm in. But I'm still terrified every time I cross the border, and I have an immense amount of privilege when I do that. Being in a car full of Mexican luchadors that are crossing the border, even with their work papers that they had, was fucking nerve-wracking. And we were sitting in that car with Daga and Phoenix for hours, like hours waiting to cross that border. Yeah, I think you're staying under your mask as long as possible while you're in that situation. Yeah, what happens at the border? Like, I'm assuming, obviously, off camera, people take off their masks. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you want to be wrestling under a mask <laughs> so you don't get recognized by a wrestling fan. Jeez. Um, I yeah. want I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Archangel Divino and uh, Ultimo Maldito, the street wrestlers, as uh, they've come to, come to be known. I thought visually... Damien, this was like some of the one of the best looking episodes in, in the entire series. Just to be able to see like these beautiful drone shots of like these kids in the middle of traffic performing these amazing, amazing wrestling moves. Um, what? When was the first time you had heard about them? And tell us the experience of like being there and seeing this in person. Well, that was it. Was like that was one of the things I owe Conan forever for all the headaches it was with some of the logistical side of things. He was. We were, I remember the first call we had with him, like you know, was when I had Sarah there with me, who was our research, researcher, Sarah Wiley. Um, we're talking to Conan. He's like, "Oh, you probably want to see the kids that wrestle on the street." And I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "They're these kids, and they go out when there's a red light and they wrestle for people's money on the streets." And he's like, "They're the best wrestlers I've ever seen." And he's like, "And this kid, Archangel Davino, he has it. He's going to be a star. Like he, I will. I can, I see the same shit in him that I see in." I saw in Ray and I saw in Penton Phoenix, you know, I see that in this kid. And so we're like, Oh my gosh. So what's this going to be like? And we were kind of under the impression at this point that this was almost something that was behind them. Like that they were now they were on TV and they would be willing to go back and do this for us just because, you know, it's something they used to do. And then we showed up at their house and we realized very quickly, like, no, this is something that's very much still a part of their reality. And it's something that's part of the reality for their whole family who you see briefly, like they have a, brother who was about 14 at the time and he would stand on the other side of traffic getting the cars going the other way performing uh short quick little magic tricks and there's a video i put up on my instagram of him and archangel Davino doing some wrestling in the streets that was ridiculous like the whole family can go they're all luchadors the mom the dad all the kids and they're wow. even training the little little kids to be luchadors but it's they were still very much in poverty and so the first time I saw them wrestle in the streets, I think I had seen a really low-quality cell phone video that had not a lot of views that was on YouTube at the time. But then I really got to see them wrestle in the streets for the first time when we went out with them for that first time. And I just couldn't believe it. I just And it's even, even when I got home and watched the videos back, that's when it really struck me mm-hmm. about how dangerous what they were doing was and just how flawless they were at what they were doing. Like, those guys are... Like I, 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 
the best in the world because they don't get injured. And if they do, they're out for a very long time. So they are smooth and it's wild to watch them now in the ring doing the same sort of stuff. And they're fearless because they're used to wrestling on concrete. Did the child during the end credit scene return to the country? <laughs> yes, he did. That was a... <laughs> I was even there when they were filming that. They went out to get some B-roll of the border. Cause that's actually the Mexican side of the border. Like, that's how close you can go to the border. And then there's a huge field of, of quote-unquote, no man's land. Um, and then on the other side, that's where the U.S. border is. And so we saw this kid. He's playing uh, ball against the wall. And then all of a sudden, the ball's over the wall. And we're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like, they, they, they were when I saw this footage, they didn't tell me what happened. And they were like, yeah, look at this. And and the kid climbs over the wall, gets his ball, and then climbs back over. Oh like, God. within a second. Like, they were like, oh, my God. Like, they were, like, running over to help this kid. And uh, then they they waited because they had to get the dad. They had to talk to his parents to see if the parents would be okay with him being in the show. And the parents were very excited about him being in the show. And everything <laughs> like that. They're like, absolutely. And we're like, that's crazy. He went over the wall to get the ball. They're like, no, that happens all the time. And in fact, the border guards will sometimes come and play soccer with them, you know, which is very surreal and eerie to kind of think about what's happening with other people's experiences on the border. But for the people that live across or live along the border, this is their reality and balls will go over that wall and they'll go over and get them and then come back. And yeah, it was, it's a, it was weird. There's also, we kind of talked about it. The scene got cut unfortunately because of time, but there's, you can see in some of the drone shots of the the border wall fence goes out into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And at certain times of the year, to let family come right up to the wall and then they can reach through and touch their family that's trapped on the other side of the border. And, uh, and it's just, yeah, Mm. just uh, like unreal, sad and bleak to think about that. And you can kind of walk right up to the beach and see this border go border wall going right into the ocean. It was a really powerful ending to this episode that I would have loved to have seen like a scene of like those guards playing soccer with the child, like, here we are, like we're we're all we're all human beings here, but there's this yeah. line on the ground that separates and defines us somehow. Did you expect, Damien, when you're about to do the show, that you would even breach on any of these topics that that these two episodes would be talking about? I think these were the kind of the selling points of the show, right? With me mm-hmm. trying to go to Vice. I think at the time, Vice especially was making a lot of sort of. Um, socio-political kind of documentary things and my pitch to them was wrestling is a great way to view these subjects an amazing way to view these subjects in a way that's a lot more populist than trying to view it through you know music or fashion or, or any other way that people try and view this stuff like wrestling is the sport of the people it's the art form of the people and oh I think we lost Damien, unfortunately. Oh, that's unfortunate. We we'll were... try. We'll try to get him back on to to say goodbye. I'm sure he's got a really nice thought to end. Yes, this is our 15, was... 15 minute segment with Damien Abraham. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we're at uh oh thirty two. Oh no, well we have two episodes. These are typically, but this is like these both episodes. I encourage everybody to check out. It, they they both. I, I think if you want a sense of what the series is, these are the best two, two. to really encapsulate what kind of coverage that they have of the wrestling industry. Damien, I think we oh, lost the you briefly. Oh, the yeah, con- you know, I, I, look, I could hear you guys in the background, but I guess you couldn't hear me. But I was just saying, like, yeah, the, 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 you know, I think the Conan episode, the Wrestling with the Border episode, comes at a really interesting time in Lucha Libre 
where you had the subsiding of the drug war, where finally life was coming back to Tijuana, like a, a whole local culture. People were feeling good about going out again. People were celebrating, and it kind of led to this renaissance of Lucha Libre, which is now run up into this whole period that we're in with what's happening in America politically, which is preventing you know a lot of this stuff from coming over the border, like all these great talents. We're not seeing them that we could be seeing right now. But anyway, sorry. Last question. Have you been getting uh, any negative feedback as you dive into like politics? I mean, it's so divisive. Uh, have you gotten any of that? Yeah, like there's definitely been people that have been trolling it for various reasons, but I've been actually really surprised at how many people have reached out and been like, oh, like, thank you for uh, doing this. Like, I, I didn't think about it this way, mm-hmm. you know, especially shockingly, because I, I, you know, I think, you know, violence is fairly cut and dry of an issue. But like shockingly with the BAM episode, like how many men have reached out and just been like, I really, you know, mainly to once again to me about this, but like, I never thought of it that way. Like, yeah, mm, that's thank great. you for putting it. And it's, uh, yeah, like it, the, the feedback has been once again, really humbling and incredible to kind of receive. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm really grateful that people are seeing in this series what, you know, I, I have been talking about for so long and, and, you know, you guys have said too. So I, I really appreciate that. Next week, it's another uh, back-to-back series of episodes. This is going to be a very different one. The craziest wrestling in Japan. It's a whole hour dedicated to DDT. Uh, following Way's terrific review this week of their trip uh, with DDT's pool wrestling. Yes. You watched yes. it? <laughs> I watched some of the clips. I haven't had a chance to actually watch the whole thing yet. But uh, this is the greatest promotion in the world as a wrestling fan because you will see like comedy that's actually at times very offensive. So I'm not going to defend that comedy. But at times there's actually some funny comedy too and some just wild, hilarious stuff. But then they'll also have at the top of the card – ridiculous like hard-hitting japanese wrestling that we all kind of crave from japanese wrestling it was sort of like the capital uh rest w wrestling that we want from japan and a lot of dance immediately following that episode is wrestling on canada's reserves as you're off to northern quebec so you're all over the place multiple continents again next week yeah, that one's actually, uh, once again, you guys know, we'll have a great conversation next week because of the DDT stuff. Way and I hanging out in Japan during the filming of the DDT stuff, too. And also, uh, you guys have had experiences on one of these northern tours. That's that right. wrestlers do. Yes. Um, so we, we will be able to communicate. And actually, once again, I think your guys' experience on a northern tour was where I was like, oh, you know what? Like, this is uh, something that's really cool. And then we found CWF and then found a whole different way to take it. So we didn't feel like we were stealing your guys' idea. Look forward to it. Damien will be back next week. You can catch the wrestlers uh, next Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time, back-to-back episodes. And then the final two episodes will be airing two weeks from now, July 3rd. After that episode, we will have Damien back in studio for the whole show. Looking forward to that. Damien, thank you as always for being so generous with your time and uh, taking us into these episodes. I thought these were you know, two really great uh, contrasting episodes to really encompass what the series is all about. Well, once again, thank you guys and, and love the Post family. This is, this is the team. This is the, you know, this is our gang affiliated thing. We appreciate it as always, Damien. The tripod. So PDK, Post <laughs> Death Kill. Wow. All right. <laughs> thank you, Damien. Bye. See ya. Always has to make it awkward at the end. Yeah, I love it. All right. Let's do a quick uh, stomping grounds preview. Yeah, and then we, uh, if we get any calls, we will uh, we will interrupt and go Phone to. Phone liners are open, everybody. Don't be shy. Seven three two eight hundred four four two three or Skype post wrestling. 
Stomping Grounds will be taking place from the Tacoma Dome on Sunday. And let's go through this one. We're going to start what I will perceive from the bottom, and then we will move up. Uh, Cruiserweight title match, Tony Nese, Akira Tozawa, Drew Gulak. Um, You know, uh, as I said earlier this week, I think that if these guys get some time, it could be a really, really strong match. If they get, like, their 12, 13 minutes, the big outlier, of course, is going to be... Will the audience care? Um, That's always going to be a question mark for the Cruiserweight title match. But uh, you have three great talents in this match, and I I hope that they are able to showcase things. They did a nice little build for it over the course of two episodes, and I'm I'm hoping that we get a a good match here. And maybe we do get the title flip. Like, they're really heating up Gulak, and maybe that's a direction they go. Yeah, I mean, my kind of understanding of it, just dipping back briefly into 205 Live last week with that Chad Gable episode, was that Drew Gulak is kind of in the middle of, of sort of a, another character rebranding as... Oh, jeez. Oops. Okay, let's take this call first. Hanzi, what's up? Yo, what's going on? Guys? Oh, jeez. Wait, one second, one second. How about now, Hanzi, can you hear us? Oh, there we go. You're in the feed. What, what's up? What's up? How's it going? Oh, no, it's good. I, I, I didn't know if you guys could hear me or not. My, we can hear bad. you now. Yeah, now we can. You're coming in clear. That's cool. Okay, I, I just wanted to... Uh, I'll just be quick. I, I, yeah. I wanted to know your guys' thoughts about... Um, do you think the rumors are true that Shane McMahon might beat Kofi Kingston for the WWE title? And if if so, do you think... Like, you think that, that will, like, honestly like be like a... A jump the shark. Like I mean, WWE has plenty of jump the shark moments, but do you really think that will really cause like a lot of outrage? Like I, I just think Shane yeah. McMahon shit. Like I, I like him as a heel, but I think he's like overstayed his welcome. And I, I just think having him on both shows and now with this rumor, it kind of makes me not look forward to Kofi Kingston's reign. Really. Yeah, I, I think this was more so like speculation on the part of where this could go. Um, rather than a definitive plan, uh, I, I do think it would be a terrible idea and a, a way too far to go with Shane McMahon. Uh, I think that there would be a lot of turnoff to it. I think it'd be a very negative reaction, even if it was ultimately for Kofi to get a big win back down the road. I think there would be uh, a lot of... It, it would not be a call I would make. Not a chance. I think Drew McIntyre could be that guy. You know, if this was all kind of served to like, you know, prop him up. I think you would achieve just as much heat for for the angle, uh, as much kind of you know reason for Kofi to come back at somebody, and I don't think you risk the negative press that the WWE will surely receive by putting the belt on a McMahon. Uh, like I'm thinking, you know, like think about everything that was so bad about a David Arquette run or a Vince Russo championship run. This would feel very much like like that. Yeah, I know. I, I I agree with you guys, and uh, I just wanted to call in quickly. But uh, you guys are doing good work as always. Sorry, sorry to interrupt your. Uh, your oh no, your it's okay. We thank you for the hey, call, Hansi, as always. Hey, um, uh, oh, never mind. I was gonna ask him about something Howard, Howard Stern related. Uh, yo, you can ask. You can ask. Oh, I was just asking. Did you, Hansi, know that at one time Howard Stern was reported to have been interested in the rights to Ant Man for a film? Project? Really. I, dude, I, I, I always think that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these like millionaire guys, like you know, all, who have who have platforms, I always believe like they have secret investment into different projects that they don't come clean about because anything that like you know Howard Stern advertises on his show, I always think he has 
some type of investment into a, like a bachelor or a dancing with the stars or something Marvel related. You know what I mean? I think Hans is going to write the definitive biography <laughs> called public parts. <laughs> I should though, for real. All right. Yo, th- th- thanks for taking my call guys. <laughs> Thank you. Hansi. Okay. We continue uh, with it, whether it's stopping. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to the match. I, th- I think Drew Gulak, I'm really curious about this new Drew Gulak. Um, I hope he becomes the new champion. The New Day, Big E and Xavier Woods versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I think they'll have a good match. It's just they're not really... It's just a match. You might hear that for a lot of the show. I think they'll have a good match, but it's just a match. And that's unfortunate with this one, too. There, There's nothing at stake. We know that, what, these two teams have sort of been feuding on the undercard, but this was sort of like a last-minute put-together match that feels no more important than a, a match on SmackDown. I feel Owens and Zayn are just... They're so... Um... I'll tell you what, I'm glad that they're putting them together, though. You know, I think they're better together than they are apart, especially if they're just aimless in the undercard. Not well, that's it. They're aimless. They have no direction. I think they're given nothing to really be... Atta- like, they're, they're the ultimate plugins. Like, it's, if a segment needs a heel, they're yeah. thrown in there. They don't have anything of their own. They're just they're just plugged in and playing utility roles. And I, I see so much more for both of these guys. Oh, absolutely. Like, a tag team title run, at least. I would love that. Imagine Sammy, Sammy uh, and, and uh, Kevin versus... Brian and Rowan, I mean, they're both heels right now, so I guess you won't really get it. But at some point, I mean, if you're going to put them in, in a tag team situation, go go full on with it. Um, I, I will say, you know, for two filler roles, I don't think you could do better than Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Who do you think will win? Uh, it doesn't matter. I think Big E and Woods are going to get the win. I think that they, like, they, they just beat Owens and Zayn like a drum at times that I don't feel they're going to... Um... It's it's for the it's for the the power of fifty fifty that that for that reason I would give it to Owens and say great Samoa Joe versus Ricochet for the United States title this certainly has the potential to be a great match will it be it'll be interesting but this is probably the most high profile singles match Ricochet's had since his call up yeah I would say so certainly I, I I'm looking forward to this one probably the most out of any of them I think in ring you know in terms of styles it's 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 almost just it, how can you go wrong, right? Um, I would have said that about the Ray Mysterio and Samoa Joe match as well, but that kind of was short change. I think they're going to have a match here. I think so too. I think to do another kind of short, you know, squash match at, at this point would do neither man really any favors. Um, do you see this feud continuing? No, no. I think this is a stopgap until Ray's back and Joe wins in like 10 minutes with a choke. I'll, I'll probably agree with that. Daniel Bryan and Rowan defending the SmackDown tag titles against Heavy Machinery. Uh, I see. Well, it'll be interesting kind of how they position Daniel Bryan here in Washington if they just go with the flow. Um, if the audience is just cheers them and they figure, let's just go with this. And ultimately, I see Bryan and Rowan retaining here. I don't see Heavy Machinery winning unless they feel Bryan could be certainly better utilized outside of a tag team and they just want to get the belts off of them. I hope not, because I don't think Brian and Rowan really have accomplished all that much with the tag team belts yet at this point. Putting them onto heavy machinery at this point as well would just be another meaningless move. I think it's more or less Kofi needs an opponent, and Dolph is not that guy. He could guy. be an opponent with the tag team belt. You could. It's just that's not like their style. And Yeah. I, just, I would keep them on them a little longer, prolong the chase for heavy machinery a little bit longer too, because them just winning it right now would, would do nothing for it. You could beat Daniel Bryan, though, in Washington, so that might be an incentive to do You could it. do that. Sure. <laughs> uh, then we go to Bailey versus Alexa Bliss for the SmackDown women's title. Um, 
You know, this was the best part of SmackDown on Tuesday. I, I, I certainly didn't care so much about this match heading into this show, and I certainly would have cared a whole lot less if not for that excellent back-and-forth battle that they had on uh, on a moment of bliss on, on Tuesday. So that's heightened my interest a little bit. That said, um, I mean, I've seen this match before. It's been it No, this okay. is more story than match. Yeah. Um, Maybe I, Nikki Cross screwing up and costing Bliss, something like that. Nikki has to be involved in this. Sure, yes, yes. That, that'll probably be the focus. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. Uh, this did not light the world on fire at WrestleMania, um, nor do I feel this is going to be a two-minute Roman Reigns match on pay-per-view. We're probably getting uh, 15 to 18 here between these two. And do you see any other outcome than Roman Reigns winning? Because I can't see them beating him two, two weeks in a row with the Super Showdown and now here. I can't see it either. I can't see it either. Um, it would be somewhat unfortunate, though, to if, if in this feud, Shane McMahon is the guy who get, who gets the win and, and Drew McIntyre isn't. Um, That's what this feels It feels like he's just the, you know, the the last obstacle before Roman gets his hands on Shane for the ultimate rematch. That's what this feels like. Drew is yeah. just the setup guy. I guess so. I think Roman needs to win, though, in order to perhaps retain some of that value. Becky Lynch, Lacey Evans, Raw Women's title. I wouldn't be shocked by a title change. Man, because I don't know where you go so, with Lacey so after bad. this if you beat her twice, going for the title. I don't think Lacey Evans should be in that position right now. I don't even think she should be challenging for the belt in this position. I don't. Th- I think it's a character that you're you're risking the audience just really giving up on at an early point, without having her being able to have enough experience to kind of carry that load. I I think Becky beats her and Lacey kind of gets back to the undercard where she can go on to develop for the next year or so before she's able to get back up to this level. I'd be just having a definitive win for Becky Lynch. I'd be doing the same as you. I don't know if that will happen though. Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, steel cage match for the WWE title. I think this is as easy a lock as possible that Kofi retains the title. And then the question is where he moves on to. Who is that heel that you can elevate? Because it's, there are some slim options at the moment when you're looking for heels. Um, you know, uh, Ray, it, it's interesting when you look at the the lineup of guys not on this card. Uh, AJ Styles is hurt. Rey Mysterio is hurt. Charlotte's off this card. Finn Balor's off this card. Andrade's off this card. Um, even Randy Orton is not on this show either. Like, that's a lot of talent that is missing from this show. And I think that really exposes kind of um, the lack of depth on this show in terms of really standout matches that, regardless of your opinion on creative, uh, getting a hot pay-per-view. And that's why I think expectations are very tempered for the show. Yeah, it's sort of unfortunate. I mean, this certainly does feel like we are in the midst of like that post-WrestleMania lull, especially with this show and, and even the last one. Um, for this result, I mean, I, I think it's obvious. And then the main event, presumably the main event, Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin, Universal title, with a mystery guest referee. The drama is just growing by the hour. Who will be the guest referee? Um, percentage chance of a title change? Probably negative 100. Oh, boy. Maybe you'll be very upset Sunday night. Who knows? I just don't see it. Oh, you mean title change uh, not on Dolph Ziggler, but perhaps Brock Lesnar? Is that what you're suggesting? Oh, that could that could be as well. No, I'm talking about even... even just trying to do listen this raw number was terrible this past week so that always gives me the the preparation that they could do something crazy just for the sake of it to 
try and, and uh, resuscitate that okay. number on Monday. I mean, there are a, a, a wide number of crazy things you can do to probably drum up interest for Monday. I don't think giving Dolph Ziggler or, or Baron Corbin the championship is one of those. When you have a limited series of options of what you can do to really stimulate the audience, uh, you come up with desperate measures, and Corbin winning the title would be a desperate measure. Do you see a cash-in? I don't see a cash-in. I don't see a title change. Well, that, that's the pay-per-view. Sunday night, 6 p.m. is the kickoff. They haven't announced what match will actually be on the kickoff, and who knows, they may add something as well. Uh, but that is the show. Way and I will be back immediately after the show. We're going to be live. If you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe at our double-double ice cap or espresso level, you can watch our show live and then call in as well if you so choose. If not, then the podcast version will be up late Sunday night, early Monday morning to download in all the usual places. Yeah, very exciting. We have uh, pretty much like a uh, number of pay-per-views coming up uh, every weekend. So after this week, it's, of course, uh, Fighter Fest. That's, that'll be out. We'll also be doing, doing a post-show for it. That'll be me and Davey. And then we're off uh, until the uh, the next Saturday. It's the G1 special oh, in Dallas. That so. weekend's crazy. There's a G1 show. There's a UFC pay-per-view. It's International Fight Week and a TNA pay-per-view. Yeah, so we're pretty busy from like every weekend on from here until the summer. The insanity begins. Uh, we have one more call from our uh, uh, phone. So, caller, what's up? Hey, gentlemen. It's Paul from New Jersey. Hey, Paul. What's going on? What's on your hey, mind? Hey, uh, yeah. Just with what you guys were talking about, um, you know, watching Raw every Monday, I really liked the show last Monday. I thought it was a step in the right direction. I enjoyed the Seth Rollins being all over it and, you know, hitting people with chairs. I thought it was kind of a cool story. But then I hear that rating and that says, well, hey, as much as I liked it, the ratings were really down. So my concern, is there a chance that Brock is your special guest referee? He screws Seth. Baron Corbin wins the title. And then Brock cashes in on Corbin, not that I would ever want to see that happen, but only because Vince sees these ratings and says, oh, we need Brock as the champion. Is there any chance that happens? No, it's definitely the chance they could do that. Um, I, I don't think that is. I, I think they, they see the, the money in the bank clearly as a tool that they can prolong rather than just having Brock cash it in, which I'm sure was the idea uh, to do a really quick cash in for Saudi Arabia that they ultimately did not do. So I I would not be going that direction as the guest referee, but it's certainly been hinted at. Um, I, I would argue that if it was something the level of Brock being that referee, they should have advertised it in advance, especially considering ticket sales for this show. Like, I think this really needed a shot in the arm that if you had anything of substance for that referee, you should have announced it ahead of time. And I'm just expecting it's going to be some wild card off, the, not literally a wild card, but just somebody off the <laughs> roster that's going to be unexpected. And who could yeah, be that I name? Certainly... Who could be that name that wouldn't be disappointing? Well, what was your suggestion? Uh, one of the women. Did I say that? You said Becky. Oh, Becky Lynch. I don't see that happening. But yes, what else, Paul? Uh, no, that was really it. I certainly hope, like, obviously numbers are down for this one. I certainly hope they just say, okay, it's a B pay-per-view, and we'll get through it and go to SummerSlam and not do anything crazy. So, I, yeah, I hope they just they do the status quo and have Seth and Kofi retain and just, you know, hopefully get through this show and then just start booking towards Extreme Rules and SummerSlam. But, yeah, that's pretty much all I had, guys. Paul, what are your two big matches to build to to SummerSlam? If you're looking at this roster, what is your what is your universal title program and your WWE title program for SummerSlam? My WWE title program for SummerSlam would definitely be Kofi and Brock. Okay. I think it's a fresh matchup. I think 
They could have really good promos. I I'm really been impressed with Kofi. I really think yep. he's, he's, it wasn't just, Oh, let's put the title on this guy for a good moment. And we'll hope. I really think he's impressed. And I think that's a fresh matchup. That's I, I got to tell you guys, I, I, I mean, Corbin's the top guy you have now for him. I, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I just, no one's coming to mind for that one. I, I, I would, I would have to ask what your guys' suggestion would be for that one. Um, I think they're, I, I don't really hate the idea of Seth Rollins in a Roman Reigns match. Maybe not for SummerSlam, but at some point, even if you do it as a double babyface thing, you know, I think that might actually be a match that's big enough for WrestleMania. Um, but as far as like for this edition of SummerSlam, if you're looking at just heels, like there, there's no one that's really all that heated up. Lars yeah. Sullivan now we're understanding uh, like he's hurt and he's probably out of the mix. Granted, he was on SmackDown, though I don't think that should disqualify anybody uh, from potential titles on the other show. I think Samoa Joe is always like on the cusp of like you know relevance, um, but they just never really pull. Alistair the trigger. Black is sitting there. Um, you know these are options that are. They're there. You've got talent. It's just you don't have any stars right now. That's that's the big problem. Like there isn't. I, and I bring this question up because I don't think those big dream matches exist right now of the current makeup of the roster. It's just they they don't exist. They're not. There's nothing hinted at. It's just it seems plugging in holes at the moment. Cool. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, that is going to bring an end to the show. Uh, we've teed up everything that is coming up. So as always, a very busy weekend here at Post Wrestling. We'll end off by saying uh, if you are a Cafe member, we will have a review of Ant-Man coming up on Friday on the Post Wrestling Cafe, our monthly MCU review. Uh, and then episodes of Cruel Summer, Saturday morning with Braden Harrington joining WH Park and then Dylan Fox on Sunday morning. Uh, those shows will cover the 97 and 98 G1 finals. And then Sunday night, Way and I are back with the Stomping Grounds post show. So check all of that great stuff out. Postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and you can tune in live every Thursday here at 3 Eastern, live at the post office. Until then, it has been fun hanging out. Is that the new? I don't know. I'm okay. just trying stuff. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.